I'm Rachel Madel, and you're listening to the Talking with Tech. And this episode is dedicated to a live recording that we did. So last week, you guys heard from Katya Hill. She was talking about ASHA's proposed AAC specialty certification. And we had a live event because we wanted to hear from you guys. We had lots of clinicians and teachers and parents, and everybody was texting their, their questions, calling in, asking more questions. And so we had a really lively discussion. So this is part one of a two-part episode. Without further ado, let's go into this week's episode, uh, our live event with the Speech Science Podcast. Welcome to Talking with Speech Science, where speech science and talking with tech join forces on Facebook Live to discuss ASHA's AAC certification, We are proud members of the Exceptional Podcast Network, and we want your feedback tonight, so please let us know. You have a few options. We are live on Facebook, so you can submit those questions below, and we will do our best to try to get to them. You can also email us at speechsciencepodcast at gmail.com. You know, we do a lot of our uh, correspondence through Facebook, so you can find us on Facebook. Just uh, search Talking With Tech and join the group and send us a message or post in the group. You can also text us tonight, and we'll be checking that as well. It's 614-681-1798. For those of you on the Talking With Tech side that are not familiar with me, I'm Matt Hott, one of the hosts and creators of Speech Science. I'm a high school SLP and work in home care with adults currently. Uh, I need to put this out there. I serve as an ASHA SEAL for Ohio. I'm the school's rep for Ohio Speech Language Hearing Association, I'm on, and I'm their rep for two other state associations. Uh, joined tonight by Chris Bouguet. Chris, who are you for the speech science people? So I'm one of the co-hosts of the Talking with Tech podcast, uh, and I work in large school district in the Northern Virginia area as the assistive technology specialist. I've been working in assistive technology and AAC for uh, three years or so, and, then, <laughs> um, uh, and I have a great time once a week getting on the horn and talking with my co-host, Rachel Madel. You know what you forgot, Chris? Chris is an amazing author of a brand new book that's doing really, really well. Yeah, the, the new assistive tech, Making Learning Awesome for All. And uh, yeah, it's like the number two bestseller in the ISTE catalog, the International Education. So yeah, it's doing really well. He's a big deal. Uh, so yeah, I'm Rachel Madel. I am co-host with Chris and I have a private practice here in Los Angeles. That's where I'm based, but I'm actually from the East Coast. Um, I moved out here about five years ago, and I specialize in children with autism and AAC. Um, And I'm very excited to be here tonight. We're going to be talking a lot about the ASHA certification, what that's going to look like, um, and just get your feedback. I really want to hear what everyone has to to say about this. Awesome. I apologize. I am sharing our live video feed to to the masses as we go. So let's just do a brief overview. What is AAC certification in a nutshell? So we actually just had uh, Katya Hill on the podcast. Um, So for our listeners, the podcast will release on Tuesday um, where she kind of talks about it because we wanted to know the details. Nothing set in stone yet. Um, But what we we learned from the podcast is that ASHA wants to have a specialty certification for AAC. Um, And they're they're following the swallowing and the dysphagia model. Um, That was kind of the biggest takeaway is that a lot of what swallowing and dysphagia has done as far as the specialty certification certification, um, that's what they're proposing is going to happen for AAC. Um, and so it would involve, um, you know, additional training and uh, a national exam. And so it, 
there's kind of a lot of nuances to it that they don't have necessarily nailed down yet, but essentially in a nutshell, that's what it would be. Yeah, I think some one of the big takeaways from the Katya Hill interview is a little bit of a historical perspective, not necessarily on the AAC certification, but on the swallowing certification. And the idea that once upon a time, uh, well before I was ever involved with ASHA or being a speech language pathologist, uh, swallowing was not part of the purview of, of a speech language pathologist. And as that, be, as that became more and more part of our practice, uh, they felt like they needed to own it. And so a way to own it was to have a certification uh, specific to that. So there are five tenets for clinical specialty certification. I'm going to quickly go over them, give all the background we need before we get into the wonderful nuts and bolts of discussion on if we think this is good, bad, or somewhere in between. Uh, the five tenets, the first, it's the specialty area is unique from and does not critically overlap the scope of an existing specialty certification. I'm getting all these from asha.org slash certification. Uh, number two, the specialty area affects a definable population of clients, patients whose needs require a distinct body of knowledge, skills, and experience. Number three, the specialty area represents a distinct and definable body of knowledge and skills grounded in basic applied research, as well as in principles derived from professional practice. Tenant four, the specialty area is one in which individual practitioners currently practice and or are required for delivery of services to clients or patients. And number five, the specialty area has mechanisms for acquisition of the required knowledge, skills, and experience. Mm -hmm. That's about right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so far, though, this is only in the second area, and along with augmentative and alternative communication, there's also autism spectrum disorder and voice and upper airway disorders, all kind of at this stage two area. But what brings us to tonight, I am not an AAC expert. I'm pointing up and down. You two are the AAC experts. Overall, just on the surface, I don't see where this is a problem, but I know I might be on the other side of this. What are your guys' initial thoughts before we dig in? Yeah, well, that, that was uh, such a great question. So I think just to, to put it out there for people, I think one of the big questions people have is, Matt, you might say that you're, um, tell me if I'm wrong here, you'd say you're a speech language pathologist generalist, right? Like, you know about different areas, and I would say that's similar to me. Rachel, would you categorize yourself there, right? Yeah, but then as as you as you get further into your practice and you spend more time in certain areas, people start to specialize. You know, some people know more about swallowing, more about know more about autism. Some people know more about AAC. And so, if you think of it as is a as a tiered approach, there's a, a baseline tier that's the tier one, if you will, that all speech language pathologists have. And then tier two would be where these certifications come in, in these different areas. And then if you think of it this way, there's a tier three, which even would be a specialty with the area within the specialty area. You know, like um, I specifically know students who are early intervention that need AAC, you know, or I specifically work with uh, adults with ALS and AAC, which is, would be highly specialized. Is that a good way to categorize it, Rachel? Yeah, I think so. And I, I just thought about eye tracking. So I am an AAC specialist who specializes in eye gaze and eye tracking as another example. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that would be a way to just to, to, to kind of say, where is the certification coming from? You know, when, when, when Matt, you say it's like a, 
I'm not seeing what the big issue is. Like, this is kind of a, a good thing in my mind. Um, that is where the perspective of people who are in favor of the certification or why they think there needs to be a certification is one, to make sure that speech language pathologist, ASHA, owns it, owns AAC, at least it owns part of it. To say officially that it is within the, the scope of practice of, um, of, a, of a speech language pathologist should be working with AAC. And that's not to say that it's an exclusionary thing. Other people could, uh, other domains also work with AAC. Occupational therapy comes to mind. Physical therapy comes to mind. General education and special education come to mind. Um, but it's it, the, the that perspective is that it's meant to be an inclusionary thing. That that just so just so everyone knows. Yep, speech language pathologists get to work with this too. Is that my making sense there, Rachel? Yeah, no, I think you're you're exactly right. Um, and so that's why we wanted to talk to Katya to kind of get some of the information. You know, I, I, I kind of went back and forth. My initial thoughts with this was, oh, certification, that feels like more training for everybody in AAC. And that feels like a really good thing. Because um, I think one of the challenges that we have in our field is that a lot of these graduate programs aren't having coursework in AAC. You know, and I was lucky enough to have a course in it. I did not have any clinical experience in AAC. Um, and so it Generally speaking, I think having more training is always a good thing. Um, but then, you know, we have to think through, you know, the kind of ramifications, right? We have to think through what actually happens when we create a certification program, you know, and, and one of the things that came up when Chris and I were kind of just talking about it was we definitely, you know, spend a lot of time on our podcast thinking about, you know, AAC is a, you know, everybody get involved with AAC, everybody on the team be a part of, you know, implementing AAC and facilitating language with, with AAC. And so, you know, the last thing we want is, is something that, you know, designates us as the specialist um, so that, you know, we're the one in charge. Like I, I don't do AAC because I'm not a specialist. Um, that's my biggest fear is that, you know, people would have that mentality. Yeah, not just, uh, I mean, not just all the other domains like teachers and occupational therapists and physical therapists, but language pathologists saying, well, I don't have that certification, so I, I, don't, I don't touch that. You know, no, it's something that we all should own and learn more about. There are already four uh, specialty areas that are licensed or certified. There is the child language uh, and language disorders, the fluency and fluency disorders, swallowing and swallowing disorders, and the intraoperative monitoring uh, that's through the audiology board. Those are already four. I work in three of those areas being child language, fluency, and swallowing, and I don't have certification. Uh, I know one person listening in, uh, Craig Coleman, I believe he is certified through fluency. He and I were able to discuss it just a little bit uh, a couple episodes ago, back on episode 67 on speech science. But my ultimate thing is I'm thinking, even though I'm not going to be certified right away, I can still work in these areas. Is that correct? That's everyone's understanding. Is that what your understanding is, Rachel? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that, and, and that was kind of the clarification that Katya gave to us when we talked to her. You know, it doesn't really change the scope of practice of an SLP, right? It's still within the scope of practice for SLPs to use um, and know AAC. Um, I think that, you know, just going back to the, the point I made earlier, it's already a struggle in, you know, my current practice, for example. 
you know, these, these speech therapists are like, I don't know, I'm not sure you're the expert. Um, you know, when we talk a lot on the podcast about, you know, let's get rid of this expert model. Um, this idea that I come into a classroom and I'm the AAC specialist and I know what to do. And I have the magic ball that like, you know, does all the things that we need to happen. And so instead having a collaborative model, and I think that that's the best approach when you're thinking about AAC is how can we all work together? Um, you know, I'm not an expert um, and I don't want to be viewed that way. Now, yes, I have a lot more experience with AAC and I can help coach and train, um, but it's really important that we all look at AAC as a collaborative effort. Whereas I feel like in maybe some of the other specialties, it's not the need for collaboration isn't quite as strong. When we're thinking about fluency, yes, we need everybody carrying over fluency strategies throughout the day, um, you know, but I don't think the, the stakes are as high necessarily as it is with AAC. We know if the, the circle of support is not implementing the use of a device, it's not going to be effective. Um, whereas I don't know if that's necessarily the case with some of these other specialties. Um, like I said, not to say that collaboration isn't important across all of these domains. Obviously, that's best practice. But I think the stakes are a little bit higher when it comes to AAC. I was going to say, we are taking your questions. We got a few things that have come through already. So you can either email speech science at our speech science podcast at gmail.com, text us 614-681-1798, or throw them into the comment section on Facebook. And a couple of text messages that came in, uh, they want to know, would AAC certification make it harder to get non-specialists to embrace AAC? Uh, they also want to talk about, uh, would certification include changing the AAC environment? And another one states, uh, talking about only if certification, uh, I'm sorry, without certification, you must be competent under principles uh, of ethics. And also a shout out to Luke, Lindsay, and Emma, who text in as well. I'm assuming talking with tech, you know who they are. But interesting comments. As an outsider to the AAC world, to someone that only uses it with my students, I'm trying to get them devices. I don't try to be on your guys' level. There's a reason I do the speech science pop version of news versus the talking with tech side. But I've always looked at trying to get the dysphagia certification. That is my next step I want to go and get because I work in home healthcare. I work with adults who trust me that what I'm doing is best practice that is going to help them. And I know that I'm 33 years old. I walk in and maybe to some of my patients that are 95, I look like I'm young and I don't know what I'm doing. If I can add that I'm a clinically certified SLP in dysphagia, there's a little bit more weight. When I work in the schools, do you guys work in the schools? I apologize. I do. You do. So I have a private practice, but a lot of my private practice is integrating into the schools um, and working with teams in schools. Okay. In my school system, in the school environment, a lot of times the school SLP is looked at as not as smart, not as intelligent, not as well-trained as SLPs in the private practice. Uh, this is coming from parents, sometimes coworkers, et cetera. So my thought would be is that if you have that AAC certification behind your name and you come to the parent at the meeting and say, look, I really believe that your student would benefit from an accent with eye gaze, from a Toby device with direct select, from a Forbes device uh, with a switch input, and you have that certification, I could see how that would, uh, how that could actually add some more weight to what I'm trying to do. 
You know, I, Matt, so that this is kind of an old uh, argument that in the world of assistive technology, we've heard many times because there's a certification that already exists called the Resna certification. And uh, this sort of parallels that discussion over there, the Resna certification discussion we're having with AAC. And the, the point that I'd bring home here, Matt, that I don't think just because you have some certification after your name, that it necessarily means you know what you're talking about. You know, uh, there could be parents out there that have been working with their own children, done their own studies, and, and done way more research than a person who passed a test, you know, and then put letters after the name, or had enough money to, to study and, and get extra coursework, then have enough money to pass the test, you know, which are all other angles here. I would much rather have people, at, whether I'm a school clinician or a private practice or whether I'm a parent or whatever, I would rather have people respect what I have to say because I can back it up with the evidence or the science, hence the speech science podcast. <laughs> but I would rather have them back up because I have, I'd rather have them believe in what I'm saying because it makes a lot of sense rather than the letters after my name. In today's day and age, you can go out and you can get the facts uh, without having to, to, to one, pay for it or make it very expensive, or two, uh, have some certification afterwards after your name to say you, that you know. So I have to catch up on some of these text messages that are coming in hot and heavy. So I apologize. Uh, one of the questions was, and I'm trying to figure out where this one came from. Uh, this is coming from Dr. John McCarthy down at Ohio University, uh, who was my AAC professor. Uh, he wants to know a question about what about the certification body? Who would be on it? How do we decide who's on it? So I guess that's a good topic. Fantastic question, because um, we asked Katja Hill sort of that. It's not, a, not exactly who, like the names of the people, but there would be a body that, it, that is working towards uh, uh, certification and would be the, the sort of the, 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 I don't know what, the evaluators, if you will. Yeah. People would put together a portfolio that would go to this body. Uh, they would look through the portfolio and say, okay, yes, you've passed uh, stage one of the vacation process. Uh, stage two would be to fill in any parts of the por portfolio that you have not yet done. You know, uh, there, there might be a, a picture of like a rubric that you check off and say, yep, I can do that. I can do that. I can do not this one. I better go spend some more time in this little area. And then phase three would be a test that you would take. Um, and that did, we did explicitly ask that to why a test? Because I have my own little concerns about testing just in working in the field of education. Uh, standardized testing is highly scrutinized nowadays, rightly so in my opinion. <laughs> I can learn the facts. I can spit them back out in a test. And does it really mean I know what I'm talking about? Or did I was just really good at memorizing and getting it out on the test? Um, is there a better way to assess people's knowledge and for them to demonstrate what they know? And I think that is. There's performance-based assessments coming out for students, project-based assessments for, for students. Uh, and I could see that uh, that be the same thing here if you felt like you needed the certification for some reason. Just Why can't just you just lean on the body of work as opposed to passing a test? The other thing that is part of the process, um, I believe, is three references. So you have to have three letters of references. Um, my question, actually, is, is this not going to be available to new graduates? So obviously, if I need three references of people talking about my work in AAC, um, it feels like it's not going to be available until you have experience with AAC. Is that what you gathered, Chris? Yeah, I think so. I don't think you can do it when you just come out. But, uh, well, I, shouldn't, I should say one of the big selling points that I think Katya was thinking about is that because there's such a lack of AAC 
programs in university level, if there was an AAC certification and your coursework for your school provided you with enough experience to get that AAC certification, maybe your your professors would be the letters of reference and you could get it right out of right out of college, right out of graduate school. But that would be a selling point to want to have more AAC courses and make it a little bit more competitive that you, I want to go to Ohio State. No, I want to go to Ohio University. Because one of them has a AAC certification and has enough of what can, can sort of promise you, but say our coursework would definitely, when you left, you would have your AAC certification, be able to pass that test, you know, where other universities you're competing against, they might not be able to do that. And that would be a selling point for you to come to their, their institution. Yeah. And it would almost be like a snowball effect. Right. And I think that she used that exact language when she was talking with us. Um, and I, you know, I think anything that gets more training and education to our graduate clinicians in AAC is a great thing, but I just, you know, I'm happy that we're having this discussion because I think it's really important to really, you know, poke holes in it at some level, just to see, you know, what are the actual ramifications of something like this? Um, I just wanted to talk a little bit about assessment because this is where I see a certification and additional training and some type of you know, system where you prove at some level your competence, right? Um, because I can't tell you how many times I've experienced clinicians being asked to do AAC assessments and they have no idea what to do. Um, you know, they might have had one experience with one child using one certain kind of, you know, system. And then they're asked in the school district to perform an AAC assessment, um, you know, which is completely unethical um, that they're being asked to do things like that. Um, but I think assessment is especially important. We know that implementation should be carried out by everybody, but we know that assessment really needs to be done by somebody who knows, you know, the systems. They know about trialing and feature matching and all these things that go into an AAC assessment. Um, so I do think that that's a huge, huge value in having a certification program. We got a text. We got a text message from Sarah. Uh, she feel. I feel like I'm just the guy holding every all the strings right now and just sitting in the front row listening to you guys talk because I'm learning something right now that I don't know if I don't know. Uh, but anyway, Sarah texts in. Uh, she says that she feels certification seems tailored for SLPs who are doing research. The guidelines for applying the certification seems unreachable for me as an AT consultant in a public school. The number of direct treatment hours and time for money for so many additional CEUs. However, on the other side, we got a text message in that says that she works in a, I'm assuming it's a she, could be a he, could be one of the 3%, uh, work in a rural area and run into SLPs who have teams of OTs and PTs, but refuse to look at AAC without an AAC assessment by a certificated AAC specialist, which means so many students are left waiting uh, for AAC. Exactly. Exactly. You know, that would be the the opposite viewpoint to what Rachel was saying with the assessment is that you could wait and, and do what you think is this great assessment. You'll hear Katya Hill, and I, I've heard her speak before, and you'll hear her on the podcast, talk about um, AAC assessment, like it has to be done this way. And, and you need to do an assessment, and here's how you do the assessment. I think all those things are really being questioned now. I know I'm one people, I'm one of the uh, the, 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 the veracity of, of trialing and assessments, the way we've traditionally been doing trialing and assessments. I think you could take a student and you could do an assessment for that student. One speech therapist could come and do an assessment for that student. They could trial three different things and they'd come up with something. Another speech therapist comes and does that same assessment on the same student and come up with three different things and then come up with two totally separate answers, both equally right you know, or both equally wrong. I don't know that there's, um, 
Help me with the science, Matt. What's the term when you have? Oh, testing validity. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, the the but the, the testing validity in general. Yeah, I, I question it with assessments the way they're currently done. I, I think we should all be questioning it, and I think maybe there's a better way. And that better way possibly is to have a committee looks at all the features, all the necessary needs of the student or the person, and then that committee, including the student if possible or the person. Well, based on these needs, what it, what exists out there that would meet those needs? And then let's make a decision based on that. Let's try something first and then go from there. We can, uh, that's a whole new do- way of doing assessments when it comes to AAC. Going back to an earlier topic we were we had mentioned about students fresh out of grad school and Craig Coleman, uh, who uh, is in our chat, he mentions that with specialty certification, you also you also need to be out of school for five years before you begin the application process. which I'm okay with. Again, I feel like I might be on that other side that looks at the certification uh, as a positive. I like the idea that I can sell myself if I want to go into private practice, if I want to charge more for what I do as an expert. I like the idea that I have additional letters behind my name. Uh, We are in a field where we give and help uh, people at some of the the worst of their spots of their lives and sometimes at the best of their lives. But what we do is a service. And sometimes we do charge for that service. If I feel like I'm really good in that area, I could see how having additional letters behind my name would help me set myself apart. If I'm looking for you know, I have a five and a two-year-old. I, I love my boys. But if either one of them needed an AAC device, an alternative augmentative communication device, I would look for the specialist that is certified. And, and maybe that's bad. I'm looking at your face, Chris. But like instantly as a parent, I'm going to be like, okay, well, Rachel, she's got a lot of good reviews. But Chris, he's got those uh, that certification I trust him a little bit more. And before you answer, Chris, you can always text in your answer 614-681-1798 or right below uh, on Facebook. I figured I might get a little hate for that one, but no, no hate at all. But man, uh, Chris, Chris, you're, you're, you're biting your lip on that. What, what did I say wrong? <laughs> that, you didn't say anything wrong. I think that's exactly right. I mean, I think that's one of the pros of certification is that it gets, it potentially gets you as the person who is certified more money. But I'll ask you this, Matt. Have you seen the movie The King's Speech? I did. I I was taking a drink and I muted my mic. I did see The King's Speech. Yeah. Do you remember the whole point of that whole movie? Is that you don't have to have a certification to know what it's really like. I thought he was a speech therapist. He was not. Well, he was. I mean, he certainly knew how to help him. And the, the king made his speech. But it's the whole the whole crux of the matter, the drama around the, the pivotal point at the end of that movie was the fact that he did not have the credentials that all the, the other ones who were supposed to help him did. And it was still he was the one that helped the, the, the king make his speech. Uh, spoiler alert. <laughs> I, I might have missed that part of the movie. <laughs> That was the whole movie, Matt. You missed the whole movie? I thought the whole movie was him giving. Anyway, I did see it. I didn't. I missed the part where he wasn't as certified as the others. I just thought it was awesome, Je- Jeffrey Roush. So, yeah, that's why he gets he gets like kicked out at the end of the uh, of the, of the the Buckingham Palace or whatever because he they discover that he doesn't have the credentials. He's just been helping people do this for years and years and years. And again, that is exactly. The, the fallacy and the and the, the what we hope with this certification would not bring is that you said if you had a child that 
felt like needed AAC. Well, I'm going to go find the person that's certified. That doesn't necessarily mean that that person knows what they're talking about. So a couple interesting things coming across the Facebook chat. Um, one, Craig Coleman on there laying down some facts for us. Um, he's saying, thank you, Craig. Thank you, Craig. Craig was a wonderful interview a couple weeks ago, and I got I to gotta promote the speech science. We ran a series on the three people running for the VP of Planning for ASHA. So check that out over at speechsciencepodcast.com. But Craig was saying the board reviews the final product, but each person works with a mentor along the way, and the mentor has to sign off on the various requirements. Uh, then you can also use the certification to provide lower cost services and improve accessibility. But Jennifer on there says at ATIA, uh, there was a discussion about insurance companies using this to deny claims if you don't have the certification. Mm. I never thought of that. Mm, I did not think of that. Can they do that? Insurance companies can do, can do whatever they want. That's the problem. They just like deny for the most ridiculous, absurd reasons that don't make any sense to anybody. So I would absolutely like guarantee that I'm going to start getting denials if I don't have the certification. Guaranteed. <laughs> that, that sounds not good. <laughs> no, no, it doesn't. It, and that's, it's, it's such a, it's such a hard, it's a hard thing, right? Um, I go back to that rural, that case, that rural, you know, community that doesn't have the AAC specialist with this, you know, and if it requires a certification, the child's left in limbo. Um, you know, I really think it's important. We talked a little bit about assessment and I really think that the way our field and AAC should be going is less emphasis on assessment and more emphasis on implementation. Because at the end of the day, there's so many robust speech generating apps and systems out there. And AAC with maybe a device that could be better is better than no AAC at all, right? Like even if you have, we'll, we'll put it in air quotes, the wrong system, which I don't think exists because if you have a robust language system, it's, you can make it work with most kids. That's better than nothing, right? And so I feel like it still goes back to graduate student clinician training and making sure that everybody understands this is a part, the scope of practice, you know, under the umbrella of being a speech language pathologist, um, and just knowing at a like a very superficial level, um, you know, how to do some of these things. Technology is is the future, right? Like, and that's what I tell a lot of the the clinicians that I work with, a lot of the teachers. Like, you really need to just know, you know, some foundations um, in order to be able to practice. And it just, it, it's so important to, to me that um, speech language pathologists feel at some level like they can, you know, try a certain system or, you know, kind of get their feet wet in some respect, um, you know, so that we don't have kids who definitely would benefit from AAC, but there's no specialist around to like, you know, grant them the device. Yep. Oh, sucks to be you. Your specialist around. So I guess you don't get AAC, right? Like that's a, it's a huge fear. Amanda sent a text into 614-681-1798, and she says that she's always on a team of more than one SLP uh, as the students have complex communication needs that seem to have outside therapies. Uh, Right now, she always has the uphill battle of parents trusting the private practice over the school's SLP, and now her concern is that while she would consider herself uh, specialized in AAC, uh, this AAC certification would affect collaboration going forward uh, when some SLPs might be certified. And she goes, that is the exact argument she has against the certification. It's always happening through word of mouth. Uh, I think this is in reference to me saying which one the parent would pick. Uh, I don't see this helping the battle as there are many amazing SLPs in the area who might not have had their name uh, out there. 
thanks, Amanda, for texting in. That's a really good point, guys. Yeah, not just SLPs, um, occupational therapists, parents, you know. Here, here's a question for you, and I don't know this from the other certifications, so uh, it'd be a question for, for, for maybe Greg <laughs> uh, or for maybe Matt, if you, if you know. Um, so let me, this is going to take a second for me to get there because bear with me. April is Autism Acceptance Month, right? Um, and so that we're leading into that and the controversies are coming out right now about ABA therapy. Some people are using it as a term of abuse, right? I keep seeing articles posted about that. And so something that has informed my practice over the last number of years has been listening to people with autism, right? Like, Hey, uh, let me learn from you what you think about these different therapies and techniques. And that's certainly something we're trying to do on the Talking with Tech podcast is say, Okay, let's get as many AAC users as we can onto the podcast so we can learn from them. Our most recent episode, uh, Lance McElmore came on to give us his experience. And I wonder about, uh, about the certification from that aspect, meaning um, if you have autism, are you certified to help people with autism? If you, if you are using an AAC user, uh, if you're a Chris Klein or a Lance McElmore or uh, any number of, of, of users out there, could you provide assistance to others who are, uh, who are AAC users? Could you automatically, you just grandfathered in, you're, you're certified because you are a proficient with the device? Or is it be, if you're a user, no, there's a whole still another skill set you need to help others select their device or other considerations. And I don't know, that's a whole aspect to me that I think we should be considering as, 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 there's, as, we, as the practices have moved on over the years. What about the users themselves? What about the people themselves? You know, If I'm someone who has, because uh, again, I'm out of my depth when it comes to swallowing, but if, if I've been dealing with a swallowing issue my entire life, would I have enough information to be able to help other people who are now dealing with swallowing issues? You know, Or do I need to be certified in it to help you? These are excellent questions that I don't know the answer to. I don't have the question to that. I don't have an answer to that. That is a wonderful uh, part. I, I don't. I don't know. Uh, Luke Peget says uh, brings up the comment on the Facebook chat that there are quote unquote specialists who give out AAC certifications, uh, who teach principles like students with lower cognition are not able to use SGDs, etc. Would a certification put a stop to that? Um, Craig Coleman says we have to remember that specialty certification is not meant to take away from SLP scope of practice. Uh, everyone can still do these things. It's a way to help point out advanced training and hopefully help generalists uh, know who to contact and collaborate with when they need more help. And then Jennifer uh, on, on the Facebook chat says they have a specialty clinic in Wisconsin who has a wait list of over a year. Others have closed their doors because of poor insurance reimbursement and now school SLPs uh, have taken over the AAC uh, assessments. This is such a, a tough spot because I see myself as a clinician. I see myself as the only person that can promote how good I am at my job. Last year, I gave a presentation to uh, all of the paraprofessionals. Um, shout out to all the paraprofessionals or educational aides, whatever you, you call them in your district, uh, on AAC. They were totally buying into what I was saying until I said, oh, I'm the SLP at the high school. And then I could see kind of their, their, they like kind of took back a little bit and were like, oh, this, he works here. Yeah. yeah. He just has to do this. And, and I could see like where, and again, I'm looking at it from a very selfish reason that if I have to talk to my coworkers and I say, hey, I'm not just an SLP. 
I'm a board certified AAC specialist. Maybe my, my words have a little bit more weight. I, I know we've gotten a couple of text messages and Chris, I think you said it as well, that your word should carry as much weight as, as the letters behind your name. But we work in a field where if we see somebody that has a PhD and they make a comment to us, we instantly, or at least I know I do, I, I hold what they say a little bit higher uh, in regards. I mean, you don't... <laughs> Sorry, I mean, that's not to say that I don't respect the, the idea that who people who have put the time in and put the effort in and put the, the work in to get their PhD, but I don't necessarily hold their word more than the, 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 the parent that doesn't have a PhD with that child every single day, you know, after school and puts the time in. You know what I mean? Everyone puts time in different ways, you know? Sometimes I might even say that having a PhD is a, is a great way to show that you have enough money to get a PhD. <laughs> that, was, that, that was Chris Bouguet from Talking With Tech. Matt Hot with Speech Science says PhDs are awesome. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, don't get me wrong. You, you absolutely, you absolutely I, I totally respect the idea that you, you spent the time to get your PhD. And I, and I understand how much work that is, but understand that that comes with having the ability to have the time and the money to get a PhD and other people don't have that, which I understand exact one of the concerns I would have with um, certification. It's why the open educational movement is, is as large as it is right now is the idea that, geez, maybe if I didn't grow up in a place that afforded me the privileges that I have, I could still learn the content I needed to learn. I could still become a master coder, even if I didn't go to a, a university where I had a PhD in coding, because I could learn that content on my own, show off my skills to my employer, says, guess what? I'm the best kick-ass coder you ever met. Just give me a chance, right? Because I put the time in just like someone else. I just don't have the degree behind it because I didn't have the money to pay for a, for a fancy schmancy degree, you know? Give people the, the, the chance to, to, to prove themselves on uh, different merits than just a PhD. It's kind of like those, it, we've all experienced the parents that think more therapy is always better. It's always better to have more therapy and individual sessions are better than group, right? We have these ideas in our head. And I think it's the same thing. It's like more education means better therapist. And I would disagree with that. I would totally disagree with that. Um, you know, I learned so much in graduate school, but it wasn't until I actually had clinical practice that it solidified, right? And it wasn't until I actually practiced the skills of being a clinician that it actually solidified. Now, what I am excited about for, from this proposed ASHA certification is it does take that into account, right? It takes into account your experience because you have to have re references. Um, it takes into consideration a portfolio of your work uh, and your experiences and your, you know, the continuing education credits that you've done to demonstrate that you have these skill sets. Um, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. It's just, you know, it, it keeps going back to my fear um, that people will say, I'm not a specialist. I don't do this. Because um, just because I experience that all the time, I can't tell you how many times it's like, oh, well, I don't know. Rachel does that. Like Rachel's the one who makes the decisions about the device. And I'm always like, no guys, this is a team, you know? And I only, a lot of times I only see kids maybe once a month. I'm doing like a consult. And so I'm like, you're the teacher that works with the kid every day. You're the parent that, you know, interacts, you know, with this device. Um, you know, this is a group decision. Um, and so anything that, you know, potentially has the, the power to, you know, make it so that people are like, 
not me. Um, I think that that's, that's the fear. But you know, I realize that we all have that as in our scope of practice that we will utilize AAC. And I think just in, in the reality of like actual practice, it's not always the case. <laughs>